Welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. Emma Gray is a novelist, feature writer, photographer, professional speaker, and accountability coach. She's been writing fiction since she first fell for Anne of Green Gables at 14 and is the author of the YA novels Unrequited and Tilly Maguire in the Royal Wedding Mess, as well as I Don't Have Time, co-authored with Audrey Thomas, and the parenting memoir Wits End Before Breakfast, Confessions of a Working Mum. She wrote her first adult novel, The Last Love Note, in the wake of her husband's death. It's a fictional tribute to their love, an attempt to articulate the magnitude of her loss, and a life-affirming commitment to hope. Emma lives just outside Canberra, where her world centers on her two adult daughters, young son, loved stepchildren and step-grandchildren, writing, photography, and endlessly chasing the Aurora Australis. Nina D. Campbell is passionate about words and women's stories. She studied theater and literature at university, where she's held the position of women's officer alongside notable South Australian feminists Natasha Stott Despoja and Annabelle Crabb. As a professional writer for the Australian government, Nina wrote ministerial speeches, briefings, policy papers, and communications materials before a midlife health challenge reminded her that life was for living, not just earning a living. Having left the paid workforce, Nina now writes fiction full-time. Together with her partner Bruce and their spirited Jack Russell Terrier Molly, she lives nestled between a world-class wine region and the sparkling sea in South Australia. Nina's debut novel, Daughters of Eve, is described as an unputdownable feminist revenge thriller. It was included in the Sydney Morning Herald's list of books to look out for in 2022, and Marie Claire's top 10 reads upon its release. Rachel S. Morgan is an award-winning fiction writer, screenwriter, and emerging television showrunner. A former entertainment journalist and recipient of the Josephine Ulrich Literature Prize, her previous film and television credits include Wanted, Mako Mermaids, and The Bachelor. Rachel writes a lot of things, but has a particular penchant for drama that makes you laugh, comedy that stabs you in the feels, stuff that is high camp and scary AF, and historical fiction. If there's magic, pop stars, or vampires in the mix, all the better. She's soon to release the first book in a brand new rom-com mystery series through Daring Press and is currently developing a diverse film and television slate that includes her new dark comedy TV show, Disgraceful. Disgraceful is also her current novel work in progress because she doesn't think she has enough things on her plate. Rachel likes yoga, tattoos, and cheese, but not in that order. Mostly, the cheese comes first. Now, what's amazing about the three of you is you're all prolific writers and at different stages of your writerly journey, including at the moment, do we call it post-launch? I mean, yes, one post-launch. Nina is post-launch. Emma is pre-launch. And Rach is like ready to go with so many projects. But what I think is amazing, and I've had the pleasure of being around each of you for this part. And what jumped out at me for today is 
how do you persist or what's it felt like to persist in the face of rejection? What does that look like? I know all of you go for the hundred hashtag hundred rejections. Thank you. And yay. Um, <laughs> but what does that look like? Do you just like shore yourself up to go for yeah, it? I, th- I think I, I clearly remember Ange standing at my front door talking to you on the phone when you phoned me and I could tell by the tone in your voice <laughs> when you phoned me with my first rejection with unrequited. And I was, I felt completely devastated because it had been looking really positive. Yeah, with that publisher, and and that first rejection was by far the hardest, and and then that book went on to be rejected seventeen times, and then eventually was picked up for a two book deal with Harper Collins, and I think by the I don't know by at some point in that journey you didn't even tell me when it was rejected. I think you just sort of <laughs> spared me the pain, and that was really good having somebody in between me and a publisher telling me and, you know, not telling me that. Um, But it became just almost like a game in the end and now I just see it as a crucial part of the publishing path that it would be completely unrealistic for any of us to really expect to get that, that publishing deal with the first thing that we send off. And if we're really serious about getting published, then it's about having to shop the manuscript around and I mean of course it's going to be disappointing but as soon as we become comfortable with rejection and just embrace it as part of the process of getting published I think it becomes easier as you go along. That's really interesting because I I had a slightly different take on it which was initially I found rejection quite easy to deal with because it had happened so much for so long (laughs) that I was very comfortable with it and I sort of yeah I sort of went oh yeah 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 that's another one and I had that sort of 100 rejections goal and it was until I actually got an offer and suddenly the stakes became a lot higher wow. and seeing your book out there in the world, rejection suddenly takes on a whole different feeling. So you've got people coming at you saying, oh, I really want another book and you're sitting there thinking, well, I, you know, I'm happy to write another book but I can't control whether that book gets out there or not. So you had this whole different experience of rejection and I think you're right I think you need the rejections in a sense to almost thicken your skin for what's to come if you don't if you sort of got I think it would be the most terrible thing in the world to have your first thing picked up I met a guy on the weekend who had a memoir picked up just like that and then he wrote fictionalized novel and sent it out and it got rejected and he just had this complete well what how does that work so I think it's individual to every person but I I do think that once you've been published, the stakes sort of seem higher because it's happening in a public domain, whereas privately you can be rejected as much as you like and it's just <laughs> between you and your computer and your inbox and it never really goes any further. That's so, yeah. fascinating. Like thinking about that difference, I mean, that leads to another thing that we'll probably talk about at some point, which is second book syndrome, which is something altogether different, but I like how you're bringing in that rejection piece. So how does it help you as opposed to hinder you? Rach, maybe you can answer too, because again, being prolific and writing in lots of different ways, modalities, right? So screenwriter, as well as fiction author, as well as I'm going to call it technical writing, corporate style writing too, and holding the space for all of those. I don't know how you do it, but keeping that flame lit 
when you know, and by the way, for all of you, there's a reason I don't tell you about every single rejection because I need to balance partially for you, but also for me that we're just going to keep trucking along. One no is just great. Yeah. Keep going. But how do you, how do you balance that and keep that excitement going even for the same project? I think it's, it's been a real mixed bag for me just going back to um, kind of the the whole rejection thing, because when I first started writing, I was, it was a lot of short form that I was putting out there and everything I put out there was picked up and published and and I won literary awards. And so I had this early experience of, wow, I must be really great. And then, and then things changed. Then I wrote my first novel and that came close a whole bunch of times but it was an interesting experience because that was before I met you Ange and I had an agent in the states but in the process of trying to find that agent I queried I think something like 80 agents in the states and I would wake up every morning to at least 10 rejection emails in my inbox directly from agents just rejecting that first book even as an agent until I finally I think I was up to something like 92 rejections and then I, wow. I got my agent yeah it was it was crazy so by that time by that point I was a bit immune to it and then there was the cycle of then that book first book going out to publishers and it came really really close but then there was rejections there so I, I got used to that really really quickly and working in screen um, and writing for TV, there are so many gatekeepers. There are so many. It's not just your agent and then, a, a, you know, going through acquisitions with, with a publisher. There are so many gatekeepers and there's so many points in time where things can fall over. I I generally have the perception now that something's not going to fly or uh, you, you're not going to, you're not going to know something's going to work until you're literally sitting in a cinema watching it on the screen or until something <laughs> is on the shelf. I I just don't get, I just don't get, it's not that I don't get my hopes up because I do, but I I just don't take anything for a given. So Yeah. Look, I mean, there's a gift in going through that experience. And I say that being, it's really hard coming from the publishing world and helping, or at least viewing what it's like to have things optioned. And then I'm a, I'm an eternal optimist. So I like the excitement and the hopefulness of it, but you're right. This, I don't know if it's compartmentalization that helps you, but especially that experience in film and television and knowing number one, production can take forever. Mm-hmm. The moving parts and you're right. The buy-in is so much bigger and you, and you go through so many other people because they're expending much larger sums mm-hmm. of money. Yeah. And I, and I just think I don't, I just don't put my eggs in one basket anymore. I, I have, and this is why I have so many multiple things that I'm working on because it, I, I feel like it's, you throw spaghetti at the wall and, uh, and at some point something will stick. So, it's, so. it feels very spiritual to me, <laughs> very Zen. Again, it can be difficult to do in practice, but that detachment, maybe it's, um, yeah, like Buddhist, like mm. I love it. And yet it it will happen or it won't happen. Mm. And, but being the creator, see, I sit in this beautiful little spot for me where I can have all the passion for your projects. And I totally get attached and I absolutely have an emotional reaction, but I'm still the go-between. So I hope that I'm taking away some of the pain, but getting to share in the excitement mm. as well. Mm. But I, I think, how do you manage it? 
especially, I mean, Emma, you have written a lot of nonfiction, long form, as well as fiction. And from the writers I've met, the process is a little bit different. Do you experience quote unquote Hmm. rejection differently for those different projects? And how does that, and I would love to hear from each of you, how does that practically impact your creativity, whether you are Hmm. experiencing the win or the potential I think the well it's a bit hard for me to say because our our non-fiction book was we were approached by a publisher to write it so it was a bit of the opposite um, but certainly in terms of writing those things it's feel the creative process is entirely different and for writing non-fiction I really do have to sit myself down and force myself to structure something and plan it out and and then writing it feels like okay I'm going to look at this section and write this today and and it's just a very different mentality it sort of feels more like work more like work has felt in in different roles in the past and then writing fiction is more of that does feel more spiritual I guess is one word or just more free-flowing I rarely plan anything you know and I know this is the same with with (laughs) several of us here that (laughs) That we just sort of allow the story to tumble out as if it's as if it's on a movie screen in front of us and mm-hmm. and trying to capture it as we go, but um, but just harking back a little bit to what you were saying just then, Rach and Ange about the flinging a lot of things out there and hoping something will stick. I think that's about just letting go of the attachment to outcome with any of the any of the projects that we're working mm-hmm. on. And that's, of course, a lot easier if you have multiple projects and you're not just, yeah. <laughs> as you say, putting all your eggs in this one basket because then we we become just so careful of our one baby that the idea of it being rejected or of that not working as it gets on the screen or on the bookshelves is terrifying. So I think that is the key and that's what they say, isn't it, that when you get something out there, you should immediately start writing another mm-hmm. book or another yep. project. You know, as soon as it's been, the email's been sent yeah. rather than sit there and wait for that to come back. So I think, yeah, I think that's really probably one of the most crucial things is is finding a way to let go of making it matter so much, <laughs> which sounds a bit hypocritical because I know, of course, everything matters so much to us and you know, all of these projects matter deeply to us. They feel like an extension of who we are and of our personalities. And I guess that's one of the scary things putting any of this stuff out there is that you feel like you're putting your own thoughts, your own mind, your own personality out there for criticism not just Mm. words on a page, Mm. particularly I think because we've, you know, several of us write really personal stuff that's based on deep um, experiences that we've had in life. So then we're putting that out there as well, another layer uh, of potential criticism. But the alternative to doing any of that is keeping it in the, in the bottom drawer and never letting people see it. I don't, I don't know. That's just not, it's still not an option. It's just not an option, is it? No. So, but that's it. I think you all know that I have this belief, but the reason you're communicating, the reason you're writing, whether you feel you've, some people even use the word channeled, and I always want you to feel more empowered than that. Like it's coming from you, but going straight to that edge and being vulnerable and being brave is actually without looking at critically in terms of grammar and all of that, because some people are going to like the way you write and some people aren't, right? But being willing to share all that as much as possible. So it's really about presence. I've seen each of you as you work on these things, and that's why I'm a proponent for each of you, instead of being prescriptive and saying, oh, look, I know what's happening in publishing. 
write this. I can say they are keen on that, but I'm not going to make you do it. Number one, because I can't. And number two, because I don't want you to, I want you to get to that beautiful place where you experience connection and maybe even trepidation with what you're writing, but there's a purpose for it. And then you're right. As soon as you finish, you release it. And that's why maybe I don't check in with every time it's been submitted and who said what or whatever, because you need to sit with what do I want to create now? That's why juggling multiple potential projects is great to be able to surrender to whatever idea at whatever time, rather than putting everything on one potential project and having it be all or nothing. That's, I think that persistence is all around not having that deep attachment care, but none of my kids are out of the home yet. So I don't know this as much as maybe Rachel and M, you would know that exact experience. You love them deeply. Of course you care, but also, you know, they exist outside of for other people. And mm-hmm. then you get that benefit of seeing what that looks like. Do you, do you feel like it's compartmentalization? Look, Nina too, you're in, because I said you're post, you're in that place where you're considering different ideas. We've had conversations. How do you all, let's just talk about that for a second. Not so much in actual rejection, persistence in the face of rejection, but potential <laughs> rejection for whatever is maybe coming up. How do you keep creating? even if you don't know where the story's going. I think the persistence for, for me is because I don't see any other way to get, or this sounds woo-woo, but I don't see any other way to get the stories out of my head. Like if I don't keep persisting, if I don't keep writing, the the ideas aren't going to stop. The inspiration's not going to stop because that's just how my brain works. I see story in everything, in, in conversations that I have, in things that I see, in other things that I watch, just in daydreaming. And, and I, I say all the time that if I didn't write, my brain would explode. I think I would seriously struggle with just processing life if I didn't tell the stories that I want to tell. So persistence, it's not, it's not so much about um, proactively, intentionally being persistent. It's just I don't know how to do anything else. I just I have to keep telling stories in whatever form that is, whether it's through music, whether it's writing short stories, whether it's the work I do at work, whether it's film, whether it's whatever it is, I have to do it. I just I don't have really any other choice. What about you? Yeah, I was going to say it's kind of weird at the moment for me because I'm having never like Emma's been through a few of the cycles of promotion, but I was completely unprepared for how promotion changes your relationship with this, the actual piece of work. And the notion of moving from being a writer who engages with that world and the world is always alive while you're drafting and redrafting and until it turns into a book and sits on the shelf, that world is a place that you can go and hide and live whenever things get hard. And so something really strange happened when I had to go out and start talking about the book as if it was instead of a world. And people were talking to me about their impressions of the book and their impressions of the story. So it's actually been quite a hard process for me to get back to that place where I can go inside a story again because I'm still out there talking about it as if it's a work of fiction. So I have to learn to suspend my disbelief again so that I can get back into the world of story fully, bring it to life. Because 
Otherwise, all I do is I have for years before I started writing novels, I would just write them in my head and they would kind of float around and go to the back and come back forward and I could jump in and out of them. But now I sort of have this sense of I'd really like to make them into something that I can give to somebody else and that extraordinary privilege that someone else would jump into your story world and live in it for a while and and find some value and benefit in that. I think I really am a bit addicted to that, but I'm also very much aware that I just have to go back to that place where the writing is the passion that brings me back. It's the joy of living in that world. And I need to sort of distance myself, I think, from some of the promotional stuff so that I have ability to suspend my disbelief. That's really hard. And that brings me back to that word, compartmentalize. It's interesting talking to each of you too, because you've got these different perspectives, depending on what stage you're at. Maybe part of it too is faith. So Emma, for example, just because I we all know <laughs> that this project took a little while. You're in pre-pre- long, but it's not that, oh, I sat down, I had this time, it all came out cleanly or even messily all at once. So just for the listener's benefit, the book was inspired by the death of my husband. So it was obviously deeply emotional for me to write. And he died in 2016. And I immediately within days knew I would be writing about grief, but I didn't know what that would look like, whether that would be more of a sort of memoir or a self-help sort of book. And eventually about two or three years later, I started writing this novel. And and I'm so glad I picked fiction in the end, because it just meant I could pour all of my real emotions onto another person rather than talking about our own situation. So that that first draft of that story did tumble out at, you know, stupid o'clock, you know, 2 a.m. <laughs> every night for about five weeks. It tumbled out and then I just sort of let it sit there for probably about a year, actually. I, I mean, I showed all of you and my little group of alpha readers who are the ones who I show before the, the, the next lot who might criticise it. So the alpha readers have to just say nice things to keep you going. <laughs> That's, That's my smart. rule. So, <laughs> no, not even typos, nothing, you know, just, oh, yeah, that keeps you going. I think I, having dumped all of that emotion there, had to then leave that for a while. And then I went back to it again, maybe a year later, worked on it again. And then the third real push with it was about probably about this time last year, actually. I just thought, you know, it's now August. I really don't want to go into another year without having sent this manuscript to a publisher. So, I just sort of pulled everything out and got the rest of that draft written. As you know, that's obviously not the end of the writing. Um, We had a substantial rewrite after it had been accepted for publication with another edit to come and then proof for it. So it's just this ongoing journey. But certainly there there was time in the middle where maybe I could have been writing. But looking back, because I have incorporated a lot of real life experience in there there's now things in that novel that happened in the last 12 months that if I'd rushed it off in the first little while wouldn't have been in there so it's probably Mm -hmm. a better book because of that but I wanted to say too after what Nina said I think you've picked up on exactly you know a really big problem facing published authors and that is that a lot of us write for reasons like Rachel articulated which are the same it's the same for me to just get our thoughts out of our head and express things and for that escape into our own private Mm. fictional world and publishing and having a book on the shelves and promoting it is terrifying for people sometimes who are often in you know love being at home in their pajamas writing (laughs) 
and don't suddenly want to be on television or radio or speaking in front of large groups of people. And, you know, all of that can be confronting for people. And to be also expected to be zapping back home into your other fictional world and producing the next book is a huge challenge because a lot of the time you're coming home exhausted from that promotional work mm. and you just want to veg out in front of Netflix or something. You know, it's it can be quite difficult. So I think the compartmentalising is a really good way to describe it. And if you can. Just to build, yeah, yeah. Building the muscle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and trying think, to build in that recovery space, I guess. Mm, recovery space, and I love that. I was going to say, I think that notion that you were going to talk about next or at some point, Ange, oh. about the second book, Syndrome, comes in there as well. I, I only had the one book deal and I am now so thankful of that because I know two other thriller writers who had their, who got two book deals and they are finishing up their second book right now and they were published in the same month as me and one of them was two months later and they're being sort of projectiled through the horror of, you know, writing a first draft <laughs> within this deadline and then writing a second. And you think about how many years we spend, like you mm. said, Emma, how many years did you percolate over that grief novel? How many years did I percolate over Daughters of Eve? And to suddenly have to do something in a three-month window and then race through what you've only just learned about editing all over again, I think that is such a huge expectation on people. I think it's why second book syndrome, sometimes second books lag because they don't, you don't get to bring your whole creativity to it. You're just sort of racing at this breakneck speed. You don't have that downtime. Yeah, I think the industry needs to think a little bit about how they do that, how much pressure some publishers put on for a second book. Well, and here's the thing, as far as I see it, there are two worlds, and this is probably how I've ended up where I am, is publishing does this, wants this. And, and I'm not saying they're wrong, because there's a reason, right? Mm-hmm. We tick it over, and we believe in your writing, and we know you can do it, and all of that good stuff, and, and readers want it. You're going out in promotion, and one of the big questions is about, and, and what are you writing now? And what is the next book? Like that, I am curious. And what I like to honor more personally is the process and what that feels like to you, because I prefer for you to have the full buy-in. To your point, Emma, and I've seen this over and over and over, there are puzzle pieces, I call them, that are not found within the time frame that you think. And it all comes mm-hmm. out. So again, whether you even uh, spiritualize it more and say it was channeled you will be a different person. You will be a different woman. You will be a different writer by the time it gets to this next stage is even if it feels like the pain of rejection, there's a purpose, right? And it may be just something's not quite right. I would say this too for you, Rach. I always think it could just be somebody got out of bed on the wrong side that day. Otherwise they were your perfect match. Mm. It will find a home. And likewise, you, Emma, and you, Nina, have real world, and maybe we'll share it at some point, examples of how if it's a yes, it's a yes. And I would hope that publishers, more like in the olden days when we all used to think if I just get the one publisher and they love it, then it's going to be published. And it's slightly different depending on the size of the publisher now. You have to have buy-in, like in film and television maybe, from lots of people. Um, but you want to find that person gets you Mm -hmm. and how can they get you 
if you've come at your writing from just a very practical place, like I have to come up with a second book or just we'll say the next book, the next book, everybody liked this other book. Let me just put on what the outfit of the old world, right? So you're out there, Nina, talking to people about it. And I know that that would feel great and you love it and they love your character and all of that. But then trying to take that back to your desk or wherever you're writing, even without an assigned deal, the expectation on top of it is weighing in, in part of the process that was not at all involved in book one, right? No, that's so true. And learning to put that into a little container and close the lid and say, no, no, we're just writing this because we want to and because it's fun and falling back in love with your characters and with their dilemmas and and with the process of world building. Yeah. That's the trick. Maybe isn't that funny? We think of if the world is, say, contemporary or something very known or lots of people know it, we're not world building. But I think that's false mm-hmm. because there's emotion there, right? It's not just a physical world. It's an emotional world. And there's its own, it has its own. And what you choose to highlight and what you choose to exclude from the world makes the world for that character a unique place. Well, because that's our human experience, Mm -hmm. right? That's what we talk about with perspective. And you'd only want to bring what you want to bring, not necessarily being influenced by all the people outside of you. I don't even know where we've got to. We're talking about persistence in the face of rejection. That's not even rejection. That's like acceptance and yet keep going. I just I just wanted to pick up on the thing you said about the rewrite. Mm. <laughs> You're kind of tiptoeing around, but yeah. let's go there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this book that I'd, I'd written and rewritten and all of this, you know, for about three years and had worked so hard on it. So we sent it off and she loved it. And she, she said, you know, I love this story. How, are, how do you feel about a substantial rewrite potentially of the first third of the book? And, you know, that, that's a substantial rewrite, isn't it, in anyone's <laughs> language? <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember saying something to her along the lines of, oh, you know, I, I just at this point where you're talking to a publisher and they're quite interested in the project, I kind of consider the project or the book as half-baked. And I didn't mean that as in, you know, I've only half-baked it and thrown you a, you know, substandard piece of my work. I'd gone as far as I could go on my own. I now need the experts, editors to step in and publishers to step in with their views on what this book needs next. And I think she was really happy with that approach because I think sometimes I think publishers work with authors who think that this is really precious, these words, and I'm not going to change them, and they become mm. so sort of rigid with that that it's it's really to the detriment of the quality of the book that they end Mm. up putting out and and also you know unlikely to be picked up by publishers so I think if we can let go I think that helps us let go of some of that attachment to outcome that we were talking earlier because it's not yet finished so you are putting something out there that's still got a journey ahead of it um, in terms of writing and I think that that one conversation I had with her is now going to be helpful for me in the future with any book I ever submit to anyone. Right. It'll be, it'll just help me to know that this is the stage we're up to now. So let's get some experts involved and see mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah. But like doing the best you can with it, Nina, do you want to? Well, I was going to say, I, I had a similar experience because I got um, a 46 page report, which just blew my mind, which started off with, you know, I love this project. It's so amazing. And then basically went into every element of storytelling 
and said, you could change this, 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 and this. And I was thinking, wow, that's, you know, that's sandwich feedback on overdrive. But it was very, very true what she said. And they were also very clear at the end that it was my decision, what I did and didn't change, that Mm -hmm. this was just advice. And I thought the way that she put it was so lovely. She said, we are your first readers. We're very well read. That's why we have, you know, perspectives on things that maybe other readers wouldn't have. But we are just readers. You are the writer and you decide what you do and don't actually take Mm. on board. And so it is that. But there's a real joy, I think. And, Rach, you would know this because working in theatre and film and, and, and television, it is a collaborative experience and there is a different energy when you get to that collaborative stage where you're getting genuine feedback from people as invested in the success of your project as you are. Mm. That kind of gives a different frisson of energy, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, I mean if, we, if we're talking about TV, yeah. there's so many layers of, of notes that happen from when you go into story meetings and you have kind of your story notes from the network or then from the producer, from the story producer, all of these layers down. And it's right down to, to dialogue or just swaths of story or plot points um, and you can't really be precious about any of it. And some of it you can push back on, obviously. Mm-hmm. You can kind of go into bat for your characters or go into bat for the ideas or advise not to change things. But sometimes there's situations where someone from the network or a, a producer will say, no, that has to change and this is how we want it changed and you just do it <laughs> because it's not it, – generally in tv unless it's your show you've created if you're just on as a writer you don't have any control other than it's not your baby so well yeah. again like so it's a what, it's a yeah i was going to say what great practice because emma you mm. said something that's very true from the publisher's perspective is about that feeling precious and the position i've been in as an agent means i tend to find the writers who are open to it. Of course, if I'm ever representing somebody, I'm a huge fan. But the goal being, especially if you're partnering with a publisher, you have to have faith. And this is why it's important to look at it beforehand. So even if you feel like, well, this is the opposite of rejection, they're accepting it. And this goes a little bit deeper. It's not just intellectual, but it's considering, do I feel like I get on with this person? And I trust that they have the experience that they're actually going to make my story or my book better. And therefore you're going to take most of their advice. But even like in TV, I think it's really interesting to know, Rach, that you could potentially push back on certain things as it is a creative, depending on your place in the hierarchy, I guess. Mm. But to say, I believe this. And I know having talked to you, Nina, that you had some of that. I don't know how much you had with that, Emma, because I think you were very open to the changes. And I think part of it is too, something I've seen with you, you guys would have to tell me when somebody points something out, even if you have the buy-in and maybe it goes with that feeling overwhelmed with 46 pages, even if the first whole page was, we love it and it's amazing and good in all these ways. Not that I don't like the notes I've gotten, but that moment in you that is like, I don't know how I'm, I, how do I do that? I already, yeah, to your um, point, Emma, you're like, I did the best I could. And now you've given me this feedback and I, I, I'll, I'll buy it. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and then they say, yeah. change this. And you're like, how do I show that? How do I do that? How do I keep the consistency? Mm. That wow. definitely happened. I, do you know, sometimes what I do, this is quite practical and weird. 
sometimes when something like that happens, even if it's partly exciting, partly terrifying, I will just lie on the floor for a little while. I just lie on the floor and just calm myself down because you can easily get really worked up and worried and panicked and all of that. And another thing that I've that I now have sort of in my skill, no, not skill set, what's the thing, like the, the little bucket of things I can do to help me get through these moments is that I go and take photos with my camera because oh. I love getting out and taking photos. So sometimes I think I know what I need. It's to go and take some photos of frost on the ground or flowers or something totally unrelated to, mm. to the book. And you've got to have something that helps you to just calm down because it can it is completely it can be completely overwhelming to receive all of that feedback because a book is a big thing it's it's not an it's not a you know an essay or a you know a a short story both of which are uh, you know other beasts altogether something I try to avoid (laughs) at all costs but you know it's it's a big project most writers I think have also got other things going on in their lives at the time you know, full-time jobs, for example, families, all of that. And then there's a deadlining. One of the reasons why I arrived at this podcast, you know, really red-faced and exhausted and struggling to breathe was because... (laughs) No one will see it. (laughs) I looked around and thought, what am I living in? This mess. And and it's because I've done this huge edit. It's just been survival mode. And I think that's the thing that we've just got to let some things go while we're in these yeah. frantic phases and mm. and just find ways to ground ourselves. And it's worth it. It's worth working through those big rewrites because I know that I said to to the publisher actually that I thank I thanked her because I said, not only have have your editing suggestions improved this book, but they have grown my skills as a writer and I'm a different writer because of this rewrite. I've learned so much about little habits I had, things that I, you know, didn't do well. You know, if you can really open yourself up to that process, it's just mm. probably one of the most valuable stages that we go through. I love it. Well, even just that piece. So if we try to circle back, we're going to have another episode, but we come together and we have conversations about these things. But in the, I think persistence in the face of rejection actually looks like what you just talked about whether you just lie on the ground <laughs> for a bit when you see receive something that feels like rejection and whether you feel like you've got that thickened skin i'm quite used to it no biggie because i've gotten dozens and dozens of other rejections but taking a moment out number 1 and just breathe you know just go lay down walk away from wherever the rejection came from generally our well phone or our laptop or something and then do something else that actually makes you feel good by giving yeah. yourself those little pieces of something that just feels nice we can call that self care obviously i've watched each of you branch out and do other things that are also creative And so rather than thinking in terms of writers, this is what it looks like to be a writer. This is what it looks like to be a writer who's adept at handling rejection. (laughs) This is what it looks like to, to write another project. There are so many different ways in, but figuring out what you were talking about skill set, or I would consider that like a toolkit, right? We all build these toolkits as writers and certain times a tool that you've used before 
you go to it and it's like a hammer that's gone all floppy. Like it's not working right now. So go on to something else. I've watched you do it, Emma, and it's beautiful. I thought about Zentangling. I even bought like a little book. It, I just never went there. Like it was beautiful <laughs> and it's nice and someone else will do it. But finding those things and maybe seeing that as the way to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Because when you think about it, every little editing comment is like a mini rejection in itself. Yeah. It's a rejection of words you worked hard on and put on that page. And it can be so tempting to want to defend those words. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people probably get stuck. But if, yeah, I think if we can just d- divide our time so that we can pour ourselves into a little bit of that work and then go and find something fun. And if we've been producing a lot or creating a lot, it can help to to just go into receiving mode. So, you know, watch something on TV or, mm. or watch a movie, read something else that someone else has written to balance it up a little bit. Mm. I like yeah. it. Consumption rather than creation. Mm. Yeah. I, mm. find it, I find if I'm not reading... Or if I'm not watching TV, uh, especially because I write scripts as well, um, if I'm not reading and consuming, I can't write. Oh, I feel like I'm. I, yeah, I feel like I have to have that two-way flow. Yeah. So especially um, reading, particularly if I ha- if I haven't read a book in literally months, I get really really stuck, and I actually have to take time out and and find something to to read. So, I get that too. Yeah. There's a very different energy to it. I have these ideas that I've shared with all the writers, and so I'm sure with you, ways to avoid comparison. And it, I can't say it doesn't happen, but it's very rare. And every time I hear of it, I get shocked <laughs> about a writer who says they're not really a reader. Mm. Whereas oh, on the other, I don't understand. I don't, that. I don't get it either. I don't understand. It happens. It. It's like I, would I also, forget how to do words. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Consuming words, I'm like, what are words? Well, if you, but you've got that energetic, it's like flow in, flow out. So Mm -hmm. I love that because that very much fits with who you are to me anyway. But the number one piece of advice, and I've listened to a lot of writerly interviews (laughs) over the years, talked to a lot of writers and listened to a lot of writers at different stages of their journey. And obviously it's not an actual stat, but I would say the most common advice I have heard of, they all say read, read, mm-hmm. read. I even know um, readers, writers who said they've never taken a course. Specific, mm. Like, you know, if they're in school and they're a native English speaker, they will have had mm. English classes at some point. Mm. They didn't have a, a course on the craft of writing, but they read a lot. But in, interestingly, you'll find a lot of uh, beginner screenwriters will say that they've never read a script but they they want to be screenwriters or writers for TV because they love film and TV. So they they consume a lot of what they want to write in its finished form and they, you know, they they find it, they learn about filmmakers and things like that. But there are, you know, there were a lot of, when I was teaching screenwriting, there were a lot of young people I was teaching that had never actually read a script. I was like, you need to read scripts. So I would just throw <laughs> scripts out. I was like, you you need to be stop watching things, re, you know, watch them as well. But you need to actually be reading reading scripts. I've just found that mind boggling. Well, but it's just a really getting the thing. bones of it, right? Because yeah. they are so different. Absolutely. Wow. And it's also, I think, I've noticed that re- writers actually absorb books differently to readers. So I know a lot of yes. people who have been in book clubs, and I've 
collected a few together with the intention of having a writer's book club at some point because it's it's hard when you're sitting with a group of people who don't understand why you might say, I don't know why they put that activity or, you know, that action mm-hmm. after this. Like that seems it should have been the other way around. I think it would have worked better if it was the other way around. And most readers would just be thinking, mm. what are you talking about? It's a book. Because they're you readers, yeah. Um, whereas you know writers it's a living thing and you can move yeah. things around and you will build within it and words are just mm. the the bricks that you're using so I yeah I think it is something that's where we need to read a lot because we read differently to to normal readers and we we learn so much so I'm often sort of saying oh why did they do that there oh, you know well that's an interesting way to word that is there something in that what are they hiding behind that yeah so I think I can't imagine. And also if you're going to pitch to someone, one of the most important things to find out, so when you were talking earlier about um, whether you trust the person who's giving you that feedback, I didn't know my publisher and I didn't get to speak to the to the actual editor who helped her with the work, but I had read a lot of things that they had read, they had written. So I had faith in their capacity to build excellent product because I had actually absorbed and read and studied a lot of the books that they had actually written so even though in COVID times with all of the breakneck speed we only had emails that went back and forwards I knew that I was in safe hands because I could see that these people made something beautiful in the world that's it that's it so even if you don't personally know or have heard of the editor before that's such great advice. If you've read other books, especially in the recent past, within mm. the genre and all of that, which is, I'm sure, what was informing your decision, you know this is the quality of the book that they put out. This is the kind of story. And again, <laughs> as writers, you read differently. What a beautiful shift in energy, especially when you need that break, right? Gosh, I love it. Well, look, we will have more questions that we may or may not answer um, in future episodes when we are just having these conversations. We'll also invite other writers. So I can't imagine that everyone will be available every single time, but we will certainly be jumping into those things that to your point, Nina, too, about having a writer's book club, which would feel different to just a strict reader's book club. We will have these conversations with people at different stages and just see what we uncover. So we can sort of pull the curtain back a little bit on what the supposed, this is what the writer's life looks like, feels like, because we experience it enough to know that it it's not just one path. It's vastly different for lots of us. And I think hopefully personalize it a little bit. I know that I like to know a bit more. And certainly like you were saying, Nina, too, in these COVID days, knowing more about the people who created the works that I love or that move me over and above their product, the book. Uh, We also like, or I really like to know about the process Mm -hmm. and the person. So hopefully that's what we'll be talking about. Thank you guys so much for coming and chatting today. And I can't wait to have another convo with all of you. Thank you. It's been great to you. Likewise. Bye guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Writers Talking. Join us next time for more Writers in Conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.